The Mixing Music Podcast is proud to say that we have a lot of free resources outside of the actual podcast. Visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash links to find access to our free PDFs and free resources. Welcome to the DK Podcast. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Well, anyway, welcome, welcome, John. I haven't seen you in a minute. How you been? Uh, very good, man. Very good. I'm very blessed. Can't, can't complain. Could uh, sleep some more. You could sleep some more. Yeah. Are uh, are your kids? Do you have any young kids right now? Oh yeah, man. I I got uh, so many. I got an eight year old, an eleven year old, and a twelve year old. Are they all sleeping well? I mean, they seem to be sleeping well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're just they, not sleeping well because you're staying up late or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I kind of hit my stride in the evenings. You know, once I put them to bed, then it's you know I really hit my uh, kind of golden window for uninter- uninterrupted. Uh, activities i've heard this do you have you ever heard that like creatives a lot of creatives tend to be night owls and like get that creative juice flowing in the evening do you feel like that's the way for you then i feel like it is because i don't know i I can't speak for anyone else you know but I've, i've heard some of the same sort of things but i think that uh it takes me about 20 25 minutes to get really rolling in like whatever creative aspect that is and and whether it's creating music mixing music producing whatever it is mm-hmm. like or or even just you know dealing with admin stuff like to yeah. really get into it and get rolling in about 25 minutes and and to have it uninterrupted no one being like daddy do this and 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 I'm not complaining about that at all I love it um but I it's I'm more productive when that, I'm not interrupted and how late do you usually go till? Like keep working till? Uh, sometimes I have breakfast with the family. <laughs> oh, for real? You 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 can go all night. Yeah, man. You have uh, well, no I issues mean, like, going all night. That's crazy. Uh, you know, everyone's got deadlines, right? And and unfortunately, a lot they all tend to like all pick the same day to have the deadline on. So uh, you know, we roll until until the deadlines met, or you know, until I'm collapsing. When I can't hear anymore, when I'm like, uh, I'm done. That's that, that's when I'm like, okay, I need to go. Do you is do you feel like there's like a limit for you? Like if you do like four hours or six hours, then like you have to take a break or anything like that? Well, I like take breaks all the time. Like I take little little micro breaks, right? Like, but so I mean, I'll like have, a substantial break. Like, oh, I'm really lost my bias right now. Mm, I I don't know. It's gotten better over the years. It used to be like. I can I can go for a solid four to six hours before I need to take a you know fifteen half hour break, uh, and but like you know that's if that's if I'm in like the critical phase right like I can yeah. rough stuff out for 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 you know sixteen plus hours but like the getting really detailed that's when I have to step away more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. I feel like do you like we always talk about hearing fatigue or like ear fatigue but like you said like you've gotten better over the years i also feel like i've gotten better over the years like the ability to stay unbiased i don't know about you does it feel that way it it does but i also use references to like make sure i'm anchored back into the reality of the world how how do you, you know? use references like specifically how do you use references like i'll you have uploaded uh, into the pro tool session or yeah, so like I'll use uh, what's that sample magic AB or whatever that thing is. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, not sample magic anymore. The, the new metric one. Adap- AB adapter adapter yeah. AB. Yeah. So I'll put that in the session, and then I load in references. So if I'm mixing a hip hop tune, I've got 
you know, my references in there, or if I'm R&B or Afrobeats or whatever it is, I've got my references in there. And then, you know, I just pause and go, okay, where, where am I? And I also have the rough mix in there as well, because, you know, I, I have to beat the rough mix every time. So <laughs> <laughs> no, for otherwise, real. otherwise I don't work, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you ever had like a damn intimidating rough mix where you're like, Oh, sheesh. <laughs> like I got to earn my money on this one. <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of them. I've had a lot of them, man. I, I, you yeah. know, some of the best mixers in the world are producers, right? Mm. Like, but they don't think of themselves as mixers. They, some of them don't have the technical ability, but they got the vibe. And so then I'm dealing with something which has all the vibe in the world and they've somehow made it insanely loud. And I've got to make mine feel the same way. But sometimes I have to, I can't be as loud because they're like beyond radio, beyond what they're like, you know, minus three. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is not going to work. So I've got to maintain that energy, that intensity minus at a significantly, three. at a significantly <laughs> lower volume. Right. And, uh, those are always intimidating because oh, for sure. I know that I just by D, even me, I get tricked by volume, you know, you turn it up even a half DB or DB. You're like, I don't know, man, this just sounds better to me. And it's volume. And yeah. so I have to, I have to try to play it around, play around with that myself and make sure that I'm not just tricking myself. What are so. some, what are some like typical habitual things that techniques that you use or things that you look out for to kind of maximize punchiness while balancing loudness? You are you a big clipper guy? You like to clip a lot? Yeah. <laughs> are you a big clipper guy? You look like a clipper guy. Um, I do. I, yes, I, I, uh, I've started use for long for the longest time. I was using the IK Multimedia Stealth Limiter, which mm. is like you can push it really hard. But but mind you, I'm mixing with that on the master right from beginning, like right when I'm getting my sounds, I've got my limiter on. Um, oh, I have to ask you about this later, but keep going, keep going. Sure, sure, sure. So for the longest time, it was that, and I have a multiband uh, compressor before that. Couple couple things on the on the master, uh, kind of for some overall sculpting, but. Um, Jason Joshua's uh, God Particle is ridiculous. And it does a lot of the same stuff. And um, yeah, it's just easy. So I put it on and I'm like, yeah, this is really good. Okay, so that's now my main one. And if it has problems with, you know, clipping or limiting or whatever it's doing, uh, then I've got the other guys, you know, disabled right after it. So I can take out his limiter and put the other ones in and for different scenarios. So, so what I wanted to ask, we literally did an episode about this on like the actual podcast. Um, maybe it was an exclusive episode that we have hidden behind paywalls. Um, if you're interested in that, you know, this is not for you, John, but for the audience. 1995. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's $3.99 at mixedmusicpodcast.com. Anyway, we did an exclusive episode and we took out what we do is we take out clips from like big interviews from big producers and whatnot or, or mixers. And then we kind of break it down. And one of them... And I have a lot of friends who mix with a limiter at the beginning. And like you said, a multiband for basic sculpting. Um, the way that I was trained and the people that I learned under as well, like uh, nothing on the mix bus. And I kind of added afterwards. What, why do you think it's beneficial to do that? I, I was trying to listen to the episode and listen to that thing and I just couldn't fathom it. It's just never, I've never thought of audio or that workflow in that way. Can you explain some of that, the reasoning? Sure. So I did it the same way that you're talking about originally. 
And I did it for years like that. And then what would happen is I'd get a mix sounding luscious. You know, I'm thinking, right? You know, and I'm young. So I was like, um, this sounds amazing. But then I'd either send it to mastering or I'd put a limiter on it because they're like, you know, we want we want you to rough limit it or whatever just for the client. And it would take all the dynamics out. It would make everything just sound squishy and nasty and stupid. And so I had this inkling of putting a limiter on if if I'm going to be smashing it in the end what if I mix through it and smash while I'm mixing it so that in the end I end up with uh the dynamics the way that I want I end up with the frequency spectrum because when you limit stuff it changes the perception of frequencies right particularly high oh, of end of course and so I was like, well, let me sculpt it into the master limiter at the level that the record is going to end up being. And the what I do with it then is at the end, once the client has approved it, I take the limiter off. And then I give a limited version. Like I print all of the mixes limited, you know, the instrumental, full, acapella, whatever, TV with my limiting on it. And then I print a version with the limiter bypassed. Uh, and I say all the same versions and I send them to the mastering engineer and say, this is the limiter that I used to get this sound. Um, this is how you get it and make it sound exactly like the client loved. Um, make it sound better because what I was running into is I would do this process and the mastering engineer would be like, we can't get it to sound the same as you did. So I started including the, the, uh, notes, on how it was being done uh, with like the screenshot of the plugin and everything just to make sure that they knew exactly how to get the sound. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm backtracking. What, after I had this inkling of doing this and I started to kind of fiddle around with it, I was at a um, one of these talks. Uh, Manny American gave a talk and I asked him during the interview section, I was like, because he kept talking about, oh yeah, and I'm running it back in and da da da. And I was like, are you mixing into a limiter? And he was like, oh, yeah, so many da-da-da-da. And I was like, no, no, but I, are, are you limiting it? And he was like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm mixing into a limiter. And I was like, okay, perfect. This is this is exactly what I need to be doing. Interesting, interesting. So even Manny does. And Manny's one of my favorites, too. So that that's, oh, that's tough. See, I've always... I've always focused on getting better at adding it at the end, like keeping it transparent as a skill, like mastering it as an independent still rather than um, kind of leveling up my mixing through a limiter and smashing it. So I've been looking at it a different way. So I have two questions for you, two technical questions for you. If you mix into a limiter, one, I assume that you're paying attention to gain staging so you're not hitting minus six on the gain reduction on accident, you know, by the time you're done with it. Right. So you're probably looking at the gain reduction or the output meter or something pretty closely the entire time. Is that correct? The entire time. I have I have three screens. Um and on the screen that is up, like the TV one, uh, which in most studios would be like the TV, I have my uh, 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 meter, which I, I use the Process Audio Decibel. Uh, that's my favorite mm -hmm. so far. Uh, and I have my limiter open and my multiband compressor open uh, so that I can see what they're doing at all times. So I'm not like, uh, you know, accidentally are you pretty? Are you pretty myself. flexible? Are you pretty flexible with it? Like, do you sometimes push? Like, how? what's the furthest you push your limiter as far as gain reduction goes? <laughs> or, like, what do you usually hit? 
<laughs> the answer is yes, I'm flexible with it. The the reality is, is like, it just depends on what the vibe needs. You know, like there are some tunes that I've mixed where it needs to sound like it's a, a car crashing into a wall, you know, high mm-hmm. speed. And then there's other songs that just it would totally sound inappropriate. Um, so like I, I on like, it's it sounds ridiculous. People are gonna be like, "This is this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about," and they're probably right. But uh, <laughs> most of the time, I'm trying not to do more than five six dB. However, there are times where I've smashed stuff like nine to twelve dB, and even I'm going, "Oh God, that's a lot." But in a single sounds, limiter, yeah, yeah. But really? the IK the stealth limiter. I don't know what the voodoo is behind it. I think it might have like multiple limiters built in or something. It's very transparent. So, and because I'm also mixing into it, I'm hearing what it's doing as it's going. But I mean, like that's, those are for like really, so you ask the most, right? So we're talking extreme, but kind of my, my rule of thumb is that if it sounds good, it is good. Right. And oh yeah. So like in those situations, those particular mixes called for, it was hell when I was like, okay, but now I've got to export stems and I want them to sound exactly the same. And that was one of the downfalls of the IK uh, is you couldn't do sidechain where, you know, I would route all the audio that way I could solo something and have the limiter triggered by everything, even though I'm only listening to the piano, for example. Oh, so that was actually going to be my second question was about soloing. But uh, piggyback thought on that. I mean, for anybody listening right now that that if they feel like they might get judgmental towards you for hitting like those crazy numbers, the point is that you're monitoring, even if it's crazy high gain reduction numbers, you're monitoring from the beginning. So even if it is hitting those numbers, you're paying attention to whether or not it's sounding good or not. And you're continuing to like, oh, it's getting too crunchy, it's getting too hot or not, or you like the sound of it. Um, whereas as far as like, the people that do the opposite, like even if they hit really low numbers, but they're not paying attention to it, they're just doing it habitually. I think that that is not as thought through as what you're doing. But I'm also paying attention to what my overall level is, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't want to smash something and get it to minus three when I know that Spotify is going to turn it down significantly. Mm. Right. So I'm paying attention to all of that stuff. And if I'm, if I find myself in a situation where the gain reduction is ridiculous and then I put the vocal in and the vocal just sounds like it's getting pumped constantly and that's not the vibe, then I look at, okay, well, how can I take this off of the master and I'll put that on, say it's only the drums I really need to be smashed or say I want the music just to be smashed, but the vocal to ride on top, right? Then I'll take that limiter and I'll move it to an all instrument bus that I have all my instruments going through and then I'll crush that and then let the vocal ride on top. I mean, like, so it's really just kind of paying attention to what I want it to sound like and how can I achieve it. And, and quite, uh, and keeping in mind that loud mixes, right? Like, cause there is, there is a, an importance to making sure that your mix can stand up next to whatever it's going to play against. Uh, that all happens in the mix phase, right? It's not that's not a mastering issue. It's a that's a mix issue. Oh yeah, because if course. if you mix without having that in mind, it uh, it won't be loud. Even it'll get smashed and it'll sound crushed, but it won't be loud. So oh, for sure. I feel like the way that I've overcome that is is my process has as more and more uh, utilized saturation, clipping, comp- uh, limiting 
uh, on buses and on individual yeah. tracks to preserve headroom. So by the time I'm at the end, if it's a typical pop or hip hop song, I'm hitting like minus seven o- overall, or like I'm um, in the chorus minus seven, minus six volume, um, with while pushing like barely maybe two 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 dbs on the gain reduction because i'm squishing it so much in the mix so that's kind of how i've compensated so i'm not saying that like one is better than the other but i'm saying that it's interesting that we can can totally develop two trains of thought here and i've when we're talking about this i was just like i have no idea what's going on and uh dude that actually makes a lot more sense but i mean those are all tools right like there's no the right way in one song is the complete wrong way in another Right. So like having a really firm grasp of your tools and the techniques is you just shift. Right. Like I, I'm not going to approach a ballad the same way. And and oh, I love oh, for sure. I love using saturation as as kind of a, a e versus EQ or compression. Right. Like essentially, you know, EQing with saturation, um, which what are the saturators you're digging right now? Ooh, um, I use a lot of random ones, man. Um, uh, one of my favorites is the, the Zener saturation built into the silica and Kush audio. Sorry. That's like I the Kush audio. Kush audio makes amazing. Like all of their plugins have some form of saturation and they sound amazing. The Mixland tilt, like the saturation one's good. Decapitator mm-hmm. is always a classic that I use from time to time. Spectre. Oh, I use Spectre every mix. Um, I don't, have you heard of Spectre? Is it Wave Labs? So it's it's like it looks but like I'm an EQ. You got you can, you should look it up. It looks like an EQ, and you can uh-huh. you can filter boost and saturate specific frequencies. So it's like it's almost like a boost only EQ, but it boosts via saturation. So it's like really cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I I use a bunch, man. I'm I'm uh uh the Massey Golden Clip Soft Clipper is one of my favorites. Although that's clipping, that's not saturation. But yeah, I use a ton. I also use like a lot of like analog emulated things, like Magic Death Eye is a compressor, but I love the way it saturates. Like it kind of adds this like low mid warmth. It's like tubey thing going on. And the per- like the Plugin Alliance Purple Eleven Seventy Six MC Seventy Seven or whatever it's called, kind of got this like mid aggressive thing going on with the saturation. So I like also saturate through non saturation plugins, if that makes sense. Sure. No, no, of course. Yeah, because they're all emulating different uh, analog hardware that's, you know, doing its thing. Yeah. Have you have you tried the oven? I, I have been messing a little bit with it. Have you played with it a lot? Oh man, I'm I'm really digging. And 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 Maor is a friend. <laughs> and yeah, I felt Maor, bad because yeah. I, I, I hadn't I hadn't uh, tried it out and for a while and he kept being like, Oh, you wanna try it out? And I was like, Yeah, man, I totally do. We just never hooked up and then it came out as a plugin and I was still like a month, two months behind and I pulled it up and I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So I'm actually using it quite a bit. I, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, re- I'm really digging it on drums. I'm really digging it on vocals. Um, yeah, I, I like the sculptability of it. That You mentioned a, a, a saturator that's kind of like an EQ. That's kind of what that one is doing. So, oh, for sure. So I've yeah. actually used the the real hardware unit at Bob's place, at Bob Horn's place. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, dude, it's so cool. I haven't gotten the chance to to use it, but or no, I've used it on like three or four mixes, but I haven't used it extensively enough to kind of form a prop a proper opinion. Right. Like I feel like it takes me like I want to use it on multiple mixes over a course of couple months on different sort of things before I form a proper opinion, but I mean, so far I've liked it enough where I keep giving it a try every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I mean, black that was the box same. too? 
The black oh, box yeah. was great. The H HG2, that one? Yeah. Yeah. I that was before the oven, that was the black box is my was my main one. And then now the oven is slowly re- starting to replace that. Really? But uh, yeah, but I, I, you know, I use Decapitator all the time and I use the FabFilter Saturn. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ones where you push and, and they give some interesting sounds. But yeah, the oven is kind of starting to replace the HG2 for me. Do, do you kind of like web in and out of different habits? Because I mean, everybody has habits, including us chaotic engineers, right? Like you right. kind of do like the same sort of chain or the same few plugins, but you use them differently. I mean, obviously we adjust them, right? But I mean... Like, do you find yourself mixing really dirty for a few months and then mixing really clean other months? Just like, I don't know, just have habits. Do you kind of go in and out of different t- different zones? I think so, yeah. And and I think it has a lot to do with uh, with what I'm mixing, right? Like, so if yeah. I'm mixing a lot of really aggressive stuff and then someone throws me a very non-aggressive song, I have to try to wean myself away from making it sound aggressive. Like, yeah. if I'm really in that vein. Uh I would say that, I don't know, as I learn like new techniques or get new tools or new inspiration from hearing something, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll change some stuff around. Um, yeah, I guess that there's, it, it's always morphing, right? Like I'm always just trying to become better at, at, uh, you know, make his, making the mixes sound as good as I want them to in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm never there, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's that thing that I'm constantly reaching for. <laughs> Do you feel like you're morphing now just as frequently as you morphed 10 years ago? I think it's different. Uh, I, so, so the short answer is yes, I think I am. Mm-hmm. But back then it was like learning basics Right. But mm. like now I'm doing that same amount of morphing, but it's in refining, you know, like I, I think that uh, every time I think I'm doing pretty decent, I look back like five years later and I'm like, man, I, well, sometimes I look back a couple months later and I'm like, man, I sucked. So, <laughs> um, yeah, there's not a mix that I've done that I that I haven't looked back and gone, man, I wish I could adjust that one thing because I am continually trying to become better oh, at what course. I do. And what the way that I hear and like, you know, even, you know, upgrading a, a something in my mix room or, you know, my monitors or something. And I'm hearing some things differently and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like uh, do you feel like there is going to ever be a point where you're like, yeah, I'm the best. <laughs> like, do you think that's ever going to come for no. you? So how do no, you how do you I, do you think to, I'm the best? No. Never. Or like or like. Rather, you know, because you were saying like you listen to old mixes and you're like, oh, I could have changed it. But I mean, do you think you'll ever get to the point where like, that's the best that I could have done for this song? Like, I'm really proud of this work. Nothing I would have changed. Do you think that'll ever happen for you? I, you know, mixes are a lot like you know, bands create songs, right? And those songs are snapshots of those bands at that time. And they go on, they develop, and they create new songs. And I think it's the same thing with mixes for me. That's a snapshot of at that time, that is the best that I was able to do at that time. And I can still listen to it and really, I like, I listen to some of my older mixes and I'm like, yeah, I really like this, but this is what I would do differently. So it's, I, I don't know. It's like a snapshot. I, I'm, yeah. 
It's a great so it's stepping not like stone. it's not necessarily always. I wish I would have improved on it. Sometimes it's I would have done something different if I were to mix it now. Correct. Just more. Okay. Always see, that. Always that. Yeah. There's a there's a little uh, like we last time you were here. I'm gonna share something personal. Like you came to my personal home and you hung out with me. As you're you're in Ohio, correct? At the I moment, am. and you yeah. you came out. Was it for like a Grammys party or something like that? Why? Why did you come out to LA? Well, the I lived in LA. Was it? I oh, this was before you moved. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is before over. I moved. Yeah, okay, I've okay. only been in Ohio for like the last what nine months or ten months? Nine months. Is the is the house like. done? Because I know you were it like is, building it out or something like that. It is. It is. The house is done. Um, the studio is still being constructed. So uh, I'm in a in a room in the house, which I've brought all my stuff into and all my acoustic treatment, and it'll be this way until. Until we move into the other space. Oh, cool, cool, man. Yeah, I uh, we were talking about people people leaving LA. I mean, LA keeps shrinking in population every year for the last couple of years, and and maybe I want to jump into the idea of when did you move to LA and what for, and what do you think about leaving? Ah, so well, I moved to LA. This is probably about two thousand six. 2005, 2006. And then um, I, what brought me to LA was I, I'd been in New York for 10 years and it had kind of run its course. And, and I was sort of, uh, I, it had lost its magic for me at that, mm. at that point in my life. And I met my, uh, who, who became my fiance and she didn't like the cold and I was like, cool, let's go somewhere else. And I mean, you're messed up if you like the cold or something. That- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we, uh, we ended up, uh, uh, I'll cut out the whole story of the circuitous route that we got there, but we ended up in LA. And um, With big dreams or just like, was there family here? Or is it like no, trying no to get into the trying to get into the industry, like with big hopes and dreams. Well, I mean, I was, I was in the industry in New York, right? Like I was yeah, already, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, sorry, LA industry, LA. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it was, I'm going to LA. We're going to do the same thing I was doing in New York, but with beaches and palm trees. <laughs> do you feel like, I mean, you were already working professionally out of New York. When you moved to LA, was there a certain level of restarting that you had to do? Yeah, absolutely. Even when as I'm, an established engineer out in New yeah, York. Yeah, like I for I had been working professionally in New York for 10 years. Um at that point I was mixing a lot of indie projects, uh some for labels. Um and I was uh, uh chief engineer at a really small studio. Um I was assistant engineer in a couple other studios. Like it was I was hustling, right? Oh, yeah. And uh when I moved out to LA, um I, I didn't have the connections out in LA. And so I was like, okay, what do I know inside and out? Because I've got a, my wife is from Kenya. And uh, so work visa, we had to wait for that. And so she couldn't work. And I was like, okay, I need to earn money. What am I going to do? How do I get to meet people? And I was like, oh, there are these music places, the music stores. So I got a gig at Westlake Pro, which at that time was at Westlake Studios. And I was oh, like, yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have to like deal with customers walking in and want to play guitars because it was like just offices. You go out and you meet studio people and you're in a studio. And uh, so I use that to just meet tons of people. And, you know, I didn't say, and hey, I'm spend a all the money you earned, spend all the money you earned on the discounted gear. <laughs> that's absolutely 
That's absolutely the truth. <laughs> you gotta so, afford. You, it takes it, it takes a lot to afford working at a, a gear retail store. <laughs> so I did that. I did it. I did it really well. I introduced myself every time. I'm you know John mm-hmm. Rice. I'm an engineer, right? Like I'm not your salesperson. I'm an engineer, and so people would buy stuff, and you know I I tell them what they need for their particular situation. They have me come look at their studio, figure stuff out. Uh, then they'd have me install it, and then they'd hire me to work on projects, and it was just like. It built. I was done. I was done after six months. As soon as I had enough clients, I quit. Um, and then, yeah. and I assume you were making decent money there too. So it was it was surviving money, right? Okay. But like it was the, only the thing is, money. it was not. Uh, I, I was mixing like perfect. I was like doing the the whole mixing thing after hours, right? So oh, I would do that, and then I'd go back to our tiny little apartment, and I'd mix. I mean, that's uh, a good thing. If you were making too much money at Westlake, it would have been super difficult to quit. You would have been probably rationalizing, oh, how can I do both still? <laughs> the golden handcuffs, you know? It's not, it's not, it's not my passion, right? It wasn't yeah. my, uh, there have been numerous times where I've uh, turned away from the easy money thing that wasn't in line with what I wanted to do because Ooh. I knew it would be, it would lock me up. And, uh, yeah, I think that having that, that kind of single minded, stubborn <laughs> focus on what it is I want to do has kind of saved me a lot of situations. So yeah, as soon as, as soon as I had a chance from there and luckily I, you know, getting married is all about finding the right partner. And at, we were around month four, month five working there and I'm suddenly having enough clients and she's like, you need to quit. And I was like, yeah, but this is supporting us. She's like, the work visa is about to come through. You need to quit. This is not, this is not what you want to do. This is not sir- feeding your soul. So, oh, she, she was pushing you. That's good. That's a yeah, good, yeah, good yeah. wife, good partner there. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so that was it. We, uh, we cut ties with them and they're great. Like we're still friends to this day oh, with the people course. that work there. And it was a, an amazing opportunity. Um, and it, it helped me in a number of ways getting to know people, getting gear at discounts. Um, yeah. I, and I got to see like all the studios because I was going in there as a consultant or whatever. So, so, so this goes back to uh, the idea of like, I talk about this all the time. It's almost, it feels like a sense of, you said, uh, stubbornness but I almost say like selfishness where it's like I am way too creative to allow myself to do things for money or something that like do something that I don't want to do like I just maybe it's the ADHD maybe it's like cultural values I think it's honestly just like I like to say that it's my creativity like I'm way too creative to do something boring for something as dull as money. Like I, I always chase after personal fulfillment, which has been bad sometimes, but at the same time, like it's, it's naturally created these barriers where I have no clients that I hate and I have no labels that are like running over me, you know, and I've created a difficult, it wasn't easy, but I'm sure that you feel the same way. Like you've created success in a way that eventually became comfortable for you. Do you feel like that's the case? Yeah, I, I think, with mine, it's more my the way I've developed things is just surrounding myself with good people. Like, and then mm-hmm. when I find good people, like we like form a chain link, right? Like, it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna continue to work together, and you know there have been gigs that I've done because it's like okay, I don't hate this, but I'm not in love with it. But you need help, and at that point, I turn okay. How can I be of service, right? Mm. Because some things aren't feeding me in terms of create creative creatively. Um, 
they will feed my family um, and I can be of service to them, right? Yeah. To whoever that person is. Um, and those, those gigs happen um, not regularly, but, but they do definitely happen where it's like, okay, I'm going to be of service to this, to this person. Yeah, for sure. Do you, so you said uh, good people, right? And I always talk about, I am, I'm very careful to make sure that I promote that success comes through being a good person, which I think is really true. Right. Uh, but I also want to ask you in the eyes of John Rezin, what are some key, we talk about red flags, but what are some like green flags of like someone that's a genuinely good person that you might want to be friends with? I think it's, I think people, okay. So for example, when I met you, uh -oh. you know, like there, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like there's lots of green flags, right? Like you are uh, well-spoken, you're thoughtful, uh, you care about doing the right thing. Uh, you're striving for excellence. You're a family man who cares about his family. They're not a burden to you. Like you showed me the books that, you know, you and your wife are writing about your kids. They're crazy. They're amazing. Writing songs about, I mean, like people, when I meet people who seem to have their, their compass in life aimed in the right direction, or at least aimed in the same direction as I'm striving to aim, right? Then it's like, okay, those are, those are people that I would like to, you know, keep on the inside circle, right? Like, I don't know. I, I think, I think it's always, and sometimes it's almost like an energy, right? Like you meet somebody and you're like, you feel like you've known them forever. Um, and then as long as like, they're, they're not, you know, far from, you know, they seem nice, but they turn out to be a serial killer. Okay, then you got to put them on the outside circle, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's interesting that you said specifically well-spoken because I feel like I relate to that a lot. Anytime that someone is particularly like articulate or like able to process thoughts and able to kind of listen to ideas at face value without kind of digging deep into what they meant by it or trying to figure out what the manipulation is. Or like um, you also said like a compass, right? I feel like... Sometimes I'm wondering, very few people have like a negative downward compass where they're like trying to provoke and be evil. I feel like most, like most everyday evil comes from people without a compass in general. Like people that don't have an upward direction or a direction at all. Mm. And do you feel that way? Like, do you feel like people need to have some kind of direction or else it could be bad? I think that, I think that it helps for sure because you need something that you are striving towards or working towards or building towards. I mean, just even just living in this world and dealing with the stuff that we deal with every day, you can kind of, you know, it's almost like you're a bird and, and you like fall into the dust and your wings are covered in mud. You want to fly, but like you're stuck, you know, and, oh, yeah. and there, there are people who, who get themselves stuck and yeah, and and don't care care enough to to unsully their wings, you know. So how do you keep your compass facing towards the direction? Well, maybe how do you, how did you or do you or continuously define where you want to go, and then on top of that, how do you continue to focus that direction? That's a good question. Um, nothing is set it and forget. 
it's constant, constantly readjusting. There was this analogy I heard that uh, uh, planes, like if you're flying from L.A. to Hawaii, uh, 99% of the time, the plane is going the wrong direction. <laughs> but they're constantly readjusting, these little micro readjustments, and then you finally land where you're going, right? And I like that idea because humans kind of suck at being perfect, right? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Out of context quote. <laughs> humans kind of suck. <laughs> well, I mean, like, right? We're not perfect. No one's perfect, right? And so we're always making mistakes, sometimes big, sometimes small. Hold on, hold on. Our wives, our wives, other than our wives. <laughs> other than our wives, who are, no. <laughs> the, uh, so, so we're always making mistakes, right? And, and always readjusting. Um, How do I how do I keep focused? I think that the um, my wife and I consult a lot. Like we have we like sit down and chat and try to figure out what we're trying to achieve and how close we are to achieving that, and not if we need to change things. You know how we're educating our children, or or hey, I'm thinking about this in my work. What do you think? And we talk about it. We talk about work emails that I'm sending. Right, like if I've got to deal with a difficult client or, you know, like we consult a lot. I think consultation with people who have your best interest in mind and also have, you know, capacity to be of great assistance um, is important. I think the other thing that really keeps my compass is my faith. Um, just part of a big part of uh, the Baha'i writings, oh, Baha'i, that's my religion. A big part of the Baha'i writings talks about uh, work done in the spirit of service is worship. And so I'm always trying to keep in mind, like, I'm not a doctor, right? Like, I, I'm not, you know, let me save their life or, you know, I'm making music, right? But music can affect people in really significant ways, uh, oh, yeah. transformative ways, right? And so I'm always looking at, even though I'm not a doctor, even though I'm not, you know, fireman, even though I'm not whatever, my work has value. How can I be of service with what I'm doing to whoever I'm doing it for. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that is a big part of it. And then also, you know, trying to be a, a good father really keeps me focused because my children reflect both their mother and me, right? So if they're doing something that is unbecoming, invariably it's, it's something that we are doing or not doing. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's bad. We need to change that about ourselves. Yeah. Right? So. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I think those are overarching things. Um, but I think they apply to kind of how my career and and everything else has, has gone. And, and I guess I combine them because one of, one of, okay, so this is a compass issue. So early on when I was starting, I said I want a wife and children. I want a family, right? And I could do the whole grind and be an engineer um, and not ha have those things and probably be successful, successful, but that's not success for me, right? And so having this full package, even though it meant uh, in many cases not going as at breakneck speed, right? It's a slower burn, but I have the... I have my goal, right? Like I have everything. And so even though I may not be in my career as, uh, I don't know how you would phrase successful, like, a, you know, like 
but I am successful because I'm working on great music. I'm working on stuff I really enjoy. You know, uh, people are appreciating my work and I have an amazing family uh, and I get to work from home. So, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. How do we define success? You know, this is a, a, a serious topic I talk about. You're kind of making me think uh, one thing that's sticking out right now is sometimes I, I feel like I define success based on am I the type of person people want to be around? And two, am mm. I the type of person that uh, is able to take on responsibility and, and uphold, you know, stand on top of my responsibilities, take control of my responsibilities? It's what so do you mean by that second one? Like, uh, I feel like maybe this is me as a man and maybe this is my wiring from my parents or my, I don't know, but I feel like the more responsibilities that I have and the more responsibilities that I can control as in take care of small things from paying rent and taxes to being a good father, being there for my kid during his basketball games to being, uh, emailing, uh, replying, and responding often to my emails, to my clients, um, being active at my church or whatever, hanging, making the time to hang out with friends. As long as I have more responsibilities and I'm in control of them, I feel like I'm successful. And there's, it's, I feel like the times that I have personally felt more depressed and less successful wasn't because, um, I didn't have things that were, you know, fruits. I wasn't reaping any fruits. It was because I personally knew that I wasn't being responsible in the way that I could be. Like, if that makes sense. I think so. The challenge though, and and this is, this is the conversation part, right? So, um, the challenge is that based on that definition, I definitely am not successful. (laughs) No, the, the, so so no, the, uh, what I, what I mean by that is I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, but there's a certain point at which work is so much and the responsibilities mount up so much. And there are so many things that the replies get slower, the oh, making yeah. sure you follow up with it, you know, and like things start to fall off and you're like, and this is that, that sort of weird kind of. Uh, point in life that I'm in, right? Everything's phases, right? So that phase of like things have to slip through the cracks because for example, I need, my kids are avid swimmers, right? So they're always in swim meets and stuff. I, I have to be at the swim meet, right? And so, so yes, maybe I didn't get back to you right when you needed me to. Uh, Sorry. I have to make a choice, right? And, and so it's a it's an interesting thing because right now I feel like the responsibilities that I have are significantly more time than I have uh, to achieve them. But like somehow I manage to get the things done. Uh, but it's like a, a mad race. But I definitely don't feel like I don't feel like you know oh it's easy breezy. Uh, it's more like oh god. It's all on fire. How do I? <laughs> How do I drown less? <laughs> yeah. Which 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 one can I put out first? But you know, that's why I I have some you know assistants and stuff who I send stuff to, and and I'm finding ways to outsource, and and that's very helpful. But, but I, I also feel like it's it's really responsible to to 
vocalize or at least in mentally prioritize that, hey, my children are more important to me right now than finishing this one project. I feel like in general, uh, that may not be taking care of all your responsibilities, but I think that's, that's incredibly responsible. What I think would be irresponsible is like you just didn't write down that you had this thing going on and you forgot about it. Right. And you, and you and you went to your kids' meet without realizing oh, you missed something. That would be I'm all I'm all about the lists. <laughs> I've got lists on lists on lists. But you know, I something that I think is really is been really helpful with with our children is we talk to them a lot. And obviously they're age they're in age now where like they can comprehend these things. But we talk about, you know, hey, I for these next month and a half, I'm gonna be in the studio constantly. And we're going to have meals together and I'm going to be really like whatever, but it's an important project that will serve our family well and is really important for, you know, my career and whatever. And we consult about it. Right. And then they're like, don't worry, daddy, we got you. No problem. And of course, my wife is amazing and she's like, don't worry. And that's the thing is like, it's always it's always a balancing act. Right. Like uh, I feel it mostly when she gets sick. If my wife gets sick, then I'm taking over everything. Right. And she's and she's doing it the other way. So like sometimes I'm stronger, sometimes she's stronger. Dude, it's 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 kind of messed up. Every time I get sick, my wife, I don't know, my wife gets like really excited that I'm like in a really vulnerable state, and she's like, "Yeah, now I can help you." It's oh, like, that's amazing! She gets, she gets way too excited when I'm just like super vulnerable and throwing up. She's like, hey, "You want me to make you food? You want me to take care of you?" She's like way too excited to take care of me. It's like concerning a little. That's bit. That's awesome. You need to let her take care of you a little bit more then. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what it is. Just randomly is. request soup from her. And she'll 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 enjoy that. That's but, yeah, amazing. It's 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 so funny. I we talk about all the time. I feel like just like you and your wife, you've spoken a lot about communicating. I think that's important. And not just in marriage, but in business. So I have a lot of experience starting businesses and uh, also failing a bunch of businesses. <laughs> um, but always, like nine out of ten, ten out of ten times, it's problems occur because of miscommunication, which typically interprets into some sort of false or uh, non-communicated expectation. Expectations then fail. So for example, like um, I know like a lot of young kids these days, or I don't know what it is. um, People think that people don't realize how difficult it is to like be married to someone and like not be able to just break up with them, Mm. (laughs) you know? And I, I sometimes they're like, like marriage is really hard, but like I've all, I don't know if, if, I don't know. I think marriage can be really hard, but I've, at the same time, I feel like I've set my expectations properly and continue to communicate in a way where at the end of it, there's been hard moments. But I, in general, I feel like it's been easy specifically due to my expectations. Mm. I I think it's hard not being married, quite frankly. Like it's oh. like that whole single life thing is I'm I'm not into it, man. And like the I've pressure, been, dude. <laughs> I, so like I think. Now, mind you, if you're married in a bad situation, I think that's probably worse because then you're you feel kind of, of stuck. But of course, um, I don't know. Expectations are are a challenge. Like I, I tend to over communicate, and I don't know if it's really over. I'm gonna say over. Is that possible though? Yeah, yeah. So this is the thing. I don't think it really is. Uh, some people <laughs> are like, "Why do you say all these things that are like really obvious?" Because I'll do it even in work. I'll be like, "Hey, I'm sending you that thing, and please remember da 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 da." Right. Mm. And they're like, dude, I know that. And I'm like, I'd rather say it, 
than than have an expectation that you're going to remember that one rando thing that I you know I told you before, and you not deliver right. Like so, I'd rather over communicate and and be like, okay, let's we're doing this, and okay, are we all on the same page? Type of thing. So I don't know, and and I'm sure it's annoying to some people, but it's worked for me. I've, I've discovered through my uh, my my therapy uh, that I've recently restarted again. Um, I have a lot of trauma, apparently, or like healing that I need to do specifically around people being dishonest. And I am like really hyper honest to the point where I I am perceived as an asshole to a lot of people. Like, and this is right. why I do so well as like a CEO type kind of thing, because I'm not mean. I'm just really honest. And if you're fucking up, I'm going to tell you without being ashamed. Like, hey, this is tough to say, but you're fucking up right now. Like, I won't sugarcoat things. And so, uh, and, and that's because of, I'm discovering now, it may be because of some, um, some potential traumas and different, uh, people that I've met in my life that have kind of helped me to develop this sort of like assertiveness. And it's not like, anyway, it makes me think about that. I talk way too much. Like the first episode that we recorded of this mixing it up with daddy D like half the episode was me talking about like really embarrassing or like should be embarrassing poop stories. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and, and, like, I just, I'm like, have no, I just don't give a shit. Like, it's just, I wish I was, you should, I should be more embarrassed. <laughs> you should cut, you should cut all those together and do like a super cut. Super poop cut. <laughs> Super poop cuts. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I have... Uh, uh, someday I'll share with you offline because I've already shared it, but uh, I have a romantic poop story. Don't even get me started. <laughs> All right, yeah. Offline, please. No um, no visuals are needed though, okay? Just do, you to, feel, do you feel like you're like... Even with your wife, do you feel like um, that you talk your... Well, I mean, I feel like over-communicating is a skill. Do you feel like you're able to successfully communicate how you feel to your wife or to other people often? With my wife, yes. Um, we, we spend a lot of time uh, consulting together and like sharing and, you know, talking about vulnerabilities and, you know, I'm going through this and it's just random times. Like if I'm, if I'm, if I, you know, it'll happen. Like I'll have a, a rough thing with a client and I'll, I'll be like, you know, I'm feeling, I'll just tell her, Hey babe, by the way, I'm feeling down right now because this, that, that. And then, you know, she's like, I got you. Like, okay. I understand. Thank Damn. you for sharing it with me. You know, like, and we Damn. talk about those things, right? Because Sometimes it's, you know, it's not that anything can be done or maybe the thing is already done or whatever it is, but it's just important for, for us as partners to be able to know, okay, he's on low, he's on low fuel right now. Yeah. So let me, let me step up and vice versa. She tells me the same things. She'll be like, Hey, you got a second? Sure. Yeah. What? Oh, I just had this conversation. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sorry that happened, babe. Let's, yeah, I got you. Let's. Uh, I'll put the kids to bed tonight and da 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 whatever you know like yeah uh, with with other people um, I try to communicate I try to communicate what is necessary for the relationship. Yeah, do you feel like you're? Uh, do you feel like you're particularly good at communicating? Man, I have no idea. Do you feel like no when you when you express yourself, do you feel like I successfully expressed myself, or do you feel like you have a hard time articulating? Well, here's the what thing: how do you say? how do you judge that? How do you judge whether you have successfully expressed yourself? Because it really is all about 
did the, okay, so there's, I guess there's two facets, right? There is expressing yourself needing somebody else to understand. And if they've understood, then you've successfully communicated, right? That's one level of communication. Um, and I never know if I've successfully communicated until that person essentially echoes back to me what I was saying and I can tell that they understood it, right? Yeah. Uh, but then there's also the communication where I need to say something, get it off my chest, and I don't care how you receive it. I just need to say it. That's a whole nother thing. And that one I think is easier to go, yeah, I express myself well for myself. But I, I think that the importance is the receiver, uh, how that's they true. receive the message. That's true. And that's why like modifying the way that messages are delivered for particular people so like either adjusting the time when I deliver the message or how I deliver it, you know, I've got, I've got friends who, who all have, everyone has traumas, right? Like everyone oh, has been course. traumatized. So I, because I'm striving to communicate well and striving to be a good friend, I'm also trying to consider people's traumas, right? So like if I've got to share something that's going to step right in the middle of that trauma, I try to find a way to share that with that person that goes around that trauma and so that we can have that dialogue and conversation without triggering them. But that's not the same way that I do it for somebody else. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I want to I want to turn the car a little bit here, the, the yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. a little bit. Uh, it's fascinating to me. Um, well, I can't. It's fascinating to me that you said you wanted to be a father when you were. It sounded like you, you described it as when you were fairly young and you kind of knew what you wanted to do. It sounded like you got married during the early, like relatively earlier years of your career, um, but you just you are creative enough and free thinking enough and uh, risk averse enough to decide to pursue music as a career, which is like the opposite of everything else that I just described, which is slightly crazy. <laughs> John, do you feel like? you were crazy at one point or do you feel like you figured out a way to be creative logically or do you feel like you kind of became more formatted over the years? I think the, I think that I have a kind of a single minded focus, um, that has, that, kind of for most people seems unrealistic and verges on significant stubbornness and in that I know where I want to go and I will find a way to achieve it. There was this story I heard. Uh, I don't know if it's true or what the deal was, but uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher it. The gist of it was like the Romans were going to fight war against the Greeks or something. They, the ships all went over, they landed on the enemies. Uh, shores and then the captain all the sh everyone got off the boats and he said light the ships on fire and the soldiers are like uh, this is oh, how we're yeah, getting out yeah, of here yeah. he says the only way we're getting out of here is on their ships the, the, yeah the right. uh, burn the boats that's Cortez yeah. story yeah ah, okay great great so like that idea that idea really resonated with me like um, backup plans are for those who believe they're going to fail and that sounds really stupid when you have like responsibilities and, you know, particularly when you're talking to people who have taken um, very uh, traditional employment options. Um, 
but I don't know. It's what, it's what works for me. And it, it fuels me when people are like, Oh, well, what do you do for fun? I'm like, I do music for fun, but yeah, yeah. But like, that's what you do for work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, so for me, that's what works. And luckily I, I have a wife who is like, no, this is, this is, this is where you get your juice. This is what you need to be doing. And so she's really insanely supportive. By the way, I want to rewind a little bit. And I said, you, you seem risk averse, which means that you're less inclined to oh. take risks. I meant, I meant you are risk tolerant. Like you're very tolerant of risks. You're willing to I, take risks. And, and I think that this is like a specific thing. I think I heard you. I heard the opposite. Because I was good. like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're taking risks. Yes. Yeah, I have yeah, yeah. that's what I meant. So I'm glad you took it the same way, but I just realized <laughs> that I said the wrong thing. Um, but yeah, you read right into it. Well, edit, edit that. Edit that. In the yeah, there post. you go. And then, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I think it's really interesting. I resonate a lot with you. Like I'm also like hyper-focused. Like there is no plan B. I've never, I've never even considered like when my family, when my parents, when friends told me that pursuing music is dumb. I've like that like at no point did it ever phase me. Right. But at the same time, I've always been like extremely free spirited, and I kind of relate that to like my chaotic nature. As when I was a kid, I was really crazy in like a good way. Like I, I always like just didn't care, had fun, really blissful, mm -hmm. uh, which I feel like kind of like turned into some sort of risk tolerant, uh, hyper focused. I know what I want and I pursue it. Do you feel like, I mean, like what was John Resnick like in high school? Like, were you, were you really stoic back then and intellectual back then as well? And you know, like, or do you feel like you loved music, right? I assume like, how did that kind of yeah. develop? Well, I, I, uh. Yeah, I, I, I actually, in high school, I was figuring out what I, in middle school, actually, I was figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And I was actually like contemplating whether to go into medicine or music. Those are the two that I had a real passion for. Really? Yeah. And, uh, like, what, what about medicine? Was it the blood that you're just like, you're excited? No, no, no. <laughs> no I, I think I, I, I think I just like the, uh, the service aspect of it, mm. right? Like, being able to make a, a concrete difference in people's lives. And, and plus I, I, uh, uh, I believe there's a lot of, of, uh, well, I, without getting too much into these, I, I guess I, I think that there's a lot of room for growth in medicine mm. in terms of like, uh, integrating Eastern and Western philosophies and, you know, all this stuff. Right. So, Amen. but that, say less, but that's say not less. I will say less, <laughs> the, but the, uh, but that's the, but music is what I ended up, ended up going with. And then, um, in high school, I, I, there was a performing arts, arts, performing arts high school and I auditioned to get in. And, you know, so, uh, three quarters of my day was spent studying jazz, uh, and they had a little studio there and that's where I discovered the studio and yeah. Um, so, so may I, I'm trying to pull something out of you specifically pull. for, for a lot of the mixing music podcasts, the demographic that we're trying to reach for is people that are trying to transition into full time, like college or late high school, maybe even like post college, trying to transition into doing music full time for you. What do you think was the mental shift that happened to de either decide to go full time or happen to go full-time you mean professionally like start to like get paid and do what i do 
Yeah. As in, I'm done working at the grocery store. Like, did you ever have a part-time job that you hated? Or was it just like you went straight into music or... So I had I had part-time jobs but the the once again the part-time jobs were not like oh this is something that is distracting this is like this is a I'm using this as a stepping stone so I'm doing my part-time job while I'm working for free with other people you know I'm like when I would build a so I focused on working on as many projects as I could right whether I was getting them off a of Craigslist at the time like people are looking for some of our friends of mine who had bands or I'm going and approaching people or I'm reaching out to artists and I'm producing stuff for them I was doing as much as I possibly could to build as much of a resume as I possibly could because every project that you do can leverage you into the next project and no one ever says oh well how much did you get paid for doing that project yeah right do, like do- when the when they're about to hire you and you're like, oh, this is my rate. They're not like, yeah, but what did you get paid for the other one? Mm. Well, I, I did that for free. No one, no one cares. They just want to know it's awesome. Yeah. Right. And if it's awesome, then you can leverage it. So like I, I, I ended up working uh, full time in music uh, in New York while I was going to school there. So I was in college and I was using my student loans uh, to basically subsidize me living in New York City. Um, and working in studios. So I'd go to school during the day and I work in studios all night. And then we had access to the studios at school 24 hours a day, like with a key card, whatever. And so then I was bringing in my own clients into the studio at school. I had like, uh, you know, label clients <laughs> going to this school studio to work. <laughs> and, That's the biggest and, flex ever. And the and the teacher having to, you know, like the professor, the main professor, uh, Paul Kozell is his name. And he would come in at like, you know, 8 a.m. And I'm like in the middle of a session. He's like, John, we you got to wrap up because I got a class in here in 30 minutes. And I'm like, OK, cool, cool, cool. You know, so anyway, I, I honestly, the the. The biggest thing for me, the biggest shift was just continually trying to do as much as I possibly can and never, never looking away from never looking, never deciding that there's only one way to do things. Some of my best gigs I've ever gotten have been through uh, like Craigslist. I worked with Toby Gad, who's a, a songwriter, producer. Like uh, John Legend, uh, All of Me, and uh, If I Were a Boy, and with Beyonce, and like I mean, like you know, he's a smash songwriter. I got a chance to work with him, and it was through a, a random Craigslist ad that he posted looking for a mixing engineer. And, I and but it didn't have his name on it. But I was like, okay, yeah, let me just hit this guy up and see. That ended up being years of work and working with some amazing people wow. and really developing my skills. Because every gig I'm looking, every gig that I get, I'm looking at how is this helping me develop my craft. Amazing. That's a great way for young listeners that quite don't quite have a portfolio, especially like have a backlog of of work that you can show off. Like thinking about is this going to develop my craft? Like I feel like will this make me money is a good question, but a bad first question. And I think like, will this develop my craft is a great first question. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like there was any specific, like, was there any specific turning point in your younger years where you, where there was a moment of epiphany where you're the boat, like the boats burned in this moment and you realize 
no more medicine, nothing else, just music. Oh no, no, no. When I when I applied for that uh high school thing, that was it was already done. It was a decision. It was like this is what I'm doing. Wow. So I knew I knew uh that was in my junior year, I guess it was junior and senior years that uh that that uh music uh program was. Like when I made the decision to go for that, that was it. What what advice do you have for people that are struggling to find or to decide what they really want. You mean in terms of, of like what aspect of the music industry or what aspect of their career? Like what, what so it sounds, it sounds like in this moment. Yeah. Let me redefine. It sounds like in this moment, in that moment, when you went into the high school program, that was a decision that you're going to do music no matter what. And you were, full-on, 100% energy and focus. I feel like there's been a lot of people on the Discord servers, listeners of the podcast that love music, but are kind of missing that last step into totally burning the boats and committing. So I'm, my question is, it sounds like the ability to commit and make the decision is innate in you. It's just part of you. Um, it, that seems like it was easy to come for you. How, what do you, for anybody that has a hard time committing to uh, what they want to do in the future or committing to an idea or something to a direction for their compass. What sort of advice do you think you may have for, for them? I think the, the two things that come to mind as you're, as you're saying that is sometimes people get an idea that this is, this one thing is what I want to be, but they have an idea of what that one thing is, which isn't accurate. Right? Mm. Like, People go and they they go to school. They're like, I want to be a lawyer. And then they go to school. They do three and a half years and like, this sucks. I don't want to be a lawyer, right? Like that's not the thing they want to do, but they've put all their effort into it, right? But maybe what's behind that, right? What is the, what it, you know, for example, um, some people are like, well, I want to be an artist, but really they don't want to tour. They don't want to, they really want to be a songwriter, Right. Mm. But they're committed to this artist thing. But the reality is they want to be a songwriter. So not being so attached to an idea of how basically being attached to what you want to get out of it. Like I want to be in the music industry in the capacity of dealing with songs. Right. But like how you get there, the that may change over time. Right. Like I could go deaf. Right. That would suck as a mixer to be deaf. Right. But then I have to say, okay, well how can I be of service in my current condition being that this is no longer a possibility, right? Um, so then the second part of that is I think people should be promiscuous with, you know, with uh, the industry, right? Like figuring out, trying out different things and not being so attached to one because you might find, like for me, I was originally in this, school to be a player like a, a jazz a guitarist and then I switched to bass and uh but I I just didn't have the focus that the other kids had right to shed all all day I I and they were excellent and I was sucky um but I have a very analytical and logical mind as well and when I found the studio at the school and this is in high school like it sparked I was like oh I get to work on the music and I get to you do that analytical thing of understanding, okay, well, this circuit and that, and it was a lot more involved back then. Now it's just click, click, click on the mouse. But uh, 
the, this is where I, I found my real passion in the studio rather than being a jazz musician. Uh, I found my passion in the studio and I didn't get tired of shedding in the studio all the time. Yeah. If that makes sense. So I wanted to be in music. I have that single minded focus, but then being in the studio is what happened at, along the way. So I want to try to extrapolate from that a little bit. Yeah. In in layman's terms, for those that have a hard time committing or focusing on one thing, what you're saying and recommending is it's important to know what you want to do, but also be flexible enough. It, like when you say commit, it may not mean commit completely to a very specific point, but you're saying commit to a direction and kind of allow yourself the flexibility to do those tiny moves on your way to Hawaii. Right. The tiny micro changes. And I think that that's really important. I feel like people, young people especially, have a really hard time committing because they're so afraid that um, of a specific direction that they have to take. Um, but you're right. It's about the general direction. It's, it's, you got to have that flexibility. It's not as that, scary if, if you understand the flexibility. That said, there are some people who are like, no, no, no. I am going to be, you know, the next Jeff Buckley, or I'm going to be the next Mariah Carey, or I'm going to be the next Rihanna, whatever, right? Like they're focused. They're like, this is what I'm doing. This is all I want to do. And actually for those people who are single-minded and who are like developing their craft, then they just have to work their asses off, right? Like to get to that point, because, you know, the, the people who achieve that type of thing, they are, <laughs> they kind of... Yeah, that single, single, super single laser focus really helps a lot because there's a oh, lot yeah. of rejection. There's a lot of rejection. Oh, that is such a blessing to be able to have that. Like that is so rare first off to like be able to commit like that. Oh man. I feel like there's been moments in my life where I've been able to commit to something like that. I feel like when I initially transferred from recording to mixing, like there was a deep level of hyper focus. That uh, took me a long way. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I want to um, kind of slowly close the meeting here, but the concept of this is this. I talk about this often because I never thought this would be an issue. But when I moved to LA, I kind of started hitting milestones way too fast, and I was genuine. I like went depressed. I got really depressed. Like everything came a little bit too quickly, and I found out when I got there, I found out it's not exactly what I want, and it didn't exactly solve the problems that I thought it would solve. But it gave me problems that I didn't expect to give me, like working with celebrities or being in rooms with big people or whatever. The pressure of doing that. And, uh, dude, it kind of made me question everything for a while. Like, oh my gosh, I like do, is it music that I want to do or some sort of other creative thing? And, uh, for you, I think the last question that I want to ask is how do you actively stay present and grateful? Hmm. How do I actively stay present and grateful? Hmm. Every, well, I, I, <clears throat> present is a hard is a hard thing because my mind is always scattered right like so i'm i'm constantly thinking about things that have happened things that are going to happen of course what is happening right now right so that one is always a hard one for me i'm trying I, my wife is into mindfulness and meditation she's a uh, uh in that space mm -hmm. so like i'm 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 working on on absorbing some of that mojo uh, so that I can be more mindful. And I think in terms of being present, 
I'm just, uh, I'm recognizing moments as they're happening and I am essentially throwing up a prayer, you know, at that moment, if I am feeling like I'm being blessed, something good is happening, or if I need assistance or whatever, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of marking those moments so that I like that I recognize those moments as they're happening. Um, as far as being grateful, one of the cool things that we do in, in our family, uh, every night, uh, the whole family, we get together, we do what's called blessings and prayers. And, uh, the blessings part, we get together and everyone in the family goes through their day and lists all the things that they were really happy about or were blessings for them. You know, it could be as simple as like, Oh, I got to play with my friend or, Oh, you know, mommy or daddy made an amazing meal. It's always mommy. Um, you know, whatever. Right. But there, we, we actively try to bring ourselves to account and and recognize the things that we're grateful for. And I, I think that has served us well, uh, as a family to keep us focused on, because there's always stuff that's really hard mm-hmm. about life, but remembering those things that are a blessing and we l- literally do it every single day. So I, I think that's, that's been helpful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, dude, this has been so amazing talking to you. I, I kind of, you never know how these conversations are going to go. And we talked a lot more about audio than we usually do. And I feel like it was a very mindful episode. So I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, talk with me, hang out. Oh man, it was some, a real pleasure. It's always I, a pleasure, man. I, I'm, I'm always enjoy chatting with you. The, and, uh, I love the fact that the, we never know where the conversation is going to go, but it's always going to go somewhere cool. Yeah. I always Thank feel like f- I learned something from you. Definitely. Uh, like some 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 sort of outside perspective inside, which is really great. And dude, uh, we never even talked about it. But uh, I I want to say live on the air that I think it's so cool that you have a lot of Japanese credits, man. We didn't even talk about your credits. I mean, the introduction I brought in, uh, I talked about a few of the artists. But uh, dude, Japanese music, man. That's so cool. As yeah, a Japanese it- man, it's like... That's, I think that's so dope. It's, it's, and I've never even been to Japan. <laughs> Someday? <laughs> that, Someday? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. So it's on my list. It's on my if, list if, to go. If the label needs to hire a translator, you know, I got you, my guy. <laughs> oh, sweet, sweet. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Anyway, thank you so much, John. Um, I appreciate your time and good luck to you in Ohio. Good luck with the rest of the studio build. Um, and uh, congrats with all your success recently, man. And thank for many so more much, years brother. to come. I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, chatting with you again, seeing you uh, in LA, maybe at NAMM. Oh, heck yeah. You're going to be there? I hope so. Yes, I'll be there as well. So, all right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And appreciate anybody that stopped by and checked out the pod. All right. Take care, guys.